devotional Bible study to me has the specific goal of how can I take this passage and then in some way offer it up to God as, as a part of my life and my, my heart to Him. Welcome to Working with the Word, a currently bi-weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into the 85th episode of Working with the Word. As in the previous two years, we're slowing things down in the months of November and December by releasing episodes every other week, focusing on the topic related to Bible reading and Bible study. This year's Final Four will feature interviews with Jason Harden, Jacob Hudgens, Deanie Ward, and Mark McCreary, all on the subject of reading the Bible devotionally. Here's our conversation with Jacob Hudgens today. We know you'll enjoy following along as well. Well, hello, everyone. This is Jeff O'Rear from Working With The Word, once again with my co-host Emerson Brown, and joining us today as well is Jacob Hudgens. Jacob Hudgens has been in full-time ministry for 18 years. He currently lives in College Station, Texas with his wife, Sarah, and their three children, and serves as one of the evangelists for the Twin City Church of Christ. He enjoys reading, running, and I'm assuming pretty much anything Aggie-related. He has a great passion for studying and teaching about the life of Jesus Christ, and has begun writing and to flesh out his thoughts on Jesus for himself and for new Christians, something I, you've probably been doing for a while, but have also been publishing in the past few years too. Jacob is the author of four books, The School of Christ, Humility Practice, A Year with Jesus, and most recently, Exploring God's Grace. We're excited to talk with Jacob about the topic of reading the Bible devotionally as one of the many ways we can approach God's word and seek to know him and his son. Jacob, thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much, guys. Really excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. Before we started recording, we were talking about kind of what led up to this. And Jeff and I are big proponents of the inductive study method. We define that as three steps, observation, interpretation, and application, kind of as as a logical way of approaching the Bible. But we've come to realize that there are other tools uh, that are just as useful. And so we wanted to talk about devotional uh, reading and study. And a lot of times we begin with a why question. We'll get to that in a second, but just really quickly, what does devotional reading mean? Uh, how would you define that? Uh, so I think of this as just the idea that I'm going to read the Bible and try to understand it. And then I'm going to use that Bible passage thought in worship. So there's a personal worship aspect of devotional reading mm. uh, where I'm going to take this in prayer to God. I'm going to meditate on this message. I'm going to think about how it might apply to my life today, uh, but in some way or another, it's I don't want to leave the word there. I want to take it into my worship and and have something that's a little more uh, directed and focused on God. And when you use that term worship, you're not talking about the Sunday assembly of the saints. You're talking about a a private individual thing. Right, right. I'm thinking about uh, my prayer life. I'm thinking about things that I'm doing on a daily basis to to honor God, take some time out of my life and say, this is God's time today. You know, Bible study can be that, but devotional Bible study to me has the specific goal of how can I take this passage and then in some way offer it up to God as as a part of my life and my my heart to him. So yeah, I don't don't mean uh, 
Sunday morning assembly, you know, group worship, although it certainly can fuel that. I'm more thinking about uh, working during the week uh, when I'm not with my brethren. I really like that, that thought of you know, bringing up the term of worship and thinking about it in that way. That kind of probably leads into that next question, that thought of really the why. So kind of unpacking why is it important that we approach the Bible in this way at times and, and think about it as whether offering it up to God through our life or in some other way, why is it so important to, to do that? Uh, so I, I was raised with two main uh, Bible study approaches. One is the uh, read the Bible through approach where you get a Bible reading plan and it's got check boxes and, and you finish the day and you check the box. Uh, so uh, the focus really becomes, did you do it? Did you read it? It's not really about comprehension. It's not really about interpretation. Just did you finish? And the other approach is sort of the way in churches of Christ, I think we kind of have this legacy of we, we preach and study propositionally. So we'll take a topic and we'll make an argument about what the Bible says about that topic, like baptism or the church or something like that. And that has its place. I'm not denigrating that, but, but neither of those approaches really equipped me to do what daily walking with God would look like. You know, how can I think about God's things and pursue God when I'm not worshiping? And maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I'm, I've been baptized and maybe I'm attending church and I'm a part of the church, you know, so what, what do I do now? Devotional reading helped me to have a new tool so that I could say, you know, I'm not really studying for, uh, to, to learn the truth about a certain topic. I'm not really studying because I want to master a certain book, you know, figure out what Ezekiel means. I'm studying so that as part of my life on a daily basis, I can connect to God. And uh, so this is a tool that's helped me because it, it doesn't ignore those other approaches. It just says, this may be something I can do in addition to those others that are a little more specialized. And what would you say is the end goal? I mean, all Bible study, it, maybe it's easy to say the end goal is to to know God. Maybe that would be your answer. I don't know. <laughs> but what, what, what do you say would be the end goal of devotional reading? To me, it's to foster that daily connection um, where I'm connected to God. Uh, when I read things about him, that I don't just leave that in the academic realm, but I talk to him about them. And when I read things that I need to do, I don't just say, oh, yes, I need to do that, but I bring them to him. Uh, and I, I like to do devotional reading at the beginning of the day and let that set the tone for the day so that these are thoughts I can meditate on throughout the day. I, I just have found in other types of reading, I don't do that. And that may be my failing, but um, to me, the goal is that moment of connection that can become the, the constant thought that God's with me, that I'm honoring God in every part of my life today and letting that bridge the gap, you know, so that it's not just Sunday and Wednesday that I'm opening scripture or, you know, even worshiping. I'm, I'm doing that regularly. So that's my goal. Uh, I'm sure there are other, you know, like obviously to to give proper due to God, you know, all those things that are that are always the right answers. Uh, <laughs> but to me, that's the that's the main goal. Make that yeah. connection. Absolutely. So as we kind of getting an understanding of the the what and the why, maybe spending a good chunk of the portion of the rest of our time thinking about how does that work or what does that look like and putting that into practice, you know. Kind of in my mind, when I think of devotional reading, here's a, a one verse topic from a blog or from a Gary Henry book, and then here's three paragraphs, and here's like a quote or a prayer at the end. Maybe that, that is in one way what it is, but 
just thinking about how that differs from the more academic approach, first of all, just to maybe put those next to each other, not to say this is this is the better and this is the worst, but just to say, how do those either relate or differ? Sure. I, I think um, what you're describing, you know, it, it's such a broad concept. What is devotional reading? And uh, for a lot of people, because they use a a text to go alongside the Bible when they do devotional reading, something that will help them kind of take it from the scripture to a thought, to a, an idea of God or whatever they're they're choosing to to focus on. You know, some some people's devotional reading will be like that, just a verse or two. For me, I prefer taking a, a section of scripture, usually, you know, depending on what we're studying, it can be larger or smaller. Right now I'm working in Isaiah and doing some devotional writing on Isaiah. You just can't spend the time verse by verse in Isaiah that you do in the mm-hmm. gospels. And I'm not sure it's as fruitful as it is in the gospels. Uh, so, you know, there's some wisdom in that, but a small section and the idea is we're going to, we're going to focus in. And so a lot of this sounds like the academic approach. We focus in, try to figure out what's being said here. To me, the difference is that uh, where an academic approach can often leave us saying, okay, I now know this is what this says and means. Devotional reading says, okay, now that I've learned this, how can I pray about it? How can I act on it? How does this change my relationship with people today? And uh, there's a real today focus in it for me. Where academic things are a little more, you know, whenever you get, you know, whenever you get the chance, there's no urgency necessarily to something that's academic. So, you know, laying those two side by side, I just see it as a little more directed toward the worship side. And uh, I, I kind of think of it too. Uh, good devotional reading is not biblically illiterate, and it's not mm-hmm. a verse. And there have been a lot of times where I have I've been writing devotionally, and and so I take a section and I think through it and I write on it, and then the next day or a couple of days later, I come to another section and I say, oh, this is the same thing as that, or this is connected to that in a way I didn't realize. Uh, it should never be that we're only focused on one thing and then we take it and do whatever we want with it. It's instead, yeah. I want to understand what it means in context, get his main thought, and then see if I can't translate that into something for my day or translate that into something that is about God that helps me refine that relationship. So to me, they're, they're not terribly different. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it's just that there's a little a little push after the study part is done in the direction of a devotion. I think some devotional writings are better than others because some are very weak and they take one verse and then they talk about everything else in the world. And then there are some that are about what is the text saying? What's the main point? And even if I can't make anything beneficial out of the main point, if there's a secondary point, I at least know the main point. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, so that you actually do learn something. And uh, I definitely think that's a goal. To me, it's a little dissatisfying if all I'm going to get out of it is, uh, you know, like a Hallmark card and uh, somebody (laughs) saying this is, oh, here's a nice, pretty verse. And you say, oh, that is nice. Okay, great. You know, thank you, God, for this nice verse. And uh, instead of it being something that's like, what is God saying to me? Yeah, I think that's really helpful because we, we don't want to look at devotional reading as you just read a verse and close your eyes and just wait for a, an emotional feeling to prompt you and what it says or how it makes you feel, that kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about here. We're still thinking. We're still applying you know our brains 
but we also have to apply our hearts, which is, I think, that that next step that we're talking about that sometimes we can leave behind in the academic side. Right, right. My focus when I write on these things is self-evaluation, and that's very, very rarely a focus in academic study. You know, academic studies, what's there? And then, you know, what might that mean? But devotional reading to me means, okay, how does this challenge and change me? How am I guilty? How do I need to be different? And I think there has to be a moment for that. And to me, it's not the best moment necessarily to do it in a, an assembly of the saints. Uh, there are times where that needs to happen, but but uh, I'm going to have problems that not everybody needs to know about and not everybody else can address because these are things that God and I know about. And uh, so to me, the introspective part is something that's a, a little additional to just a typical, like your inductive study method to say, how can I be different here? I think mm-hmm. we uh, we wrestle a little, we struggle a little with asking ourselves those questions. So sometimes a guide can be helpful to, to point the finger back at us. And we don't have to answer out loud or anything unless we're praying. So, Yeah. A couple of the hows will continue to, to flesh out, but you know, just thinking about the writing part there, I've mentioned before that I would rather, some people are you know scared to death of public speaking. I'd rather stand up in the front of a crowd of a million and you know give a, a thousand impromptu speeches than write three paragraphs for somebody to read. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I'm not good at writing and I hate writing. But whether it's for other people to find out and to, to be published or whether it's just for your own thoughts, how does, does writing help us maybe with some devotional thought? Um, yeah, I recommend it if you can. I don't, don't worry about publishing it. Um, yeah. I just say to me, writing gives me permission to think through what this means. And uh, I don't, I don't write in my Bible and uh, I don't, you know, even the, electronic type Bibles, it always seems like a hassle to try to make notes. And I don't ever know where the notes go and all that. So to me, I need a piece of paper or something and I sketch and it gives me permission. I I heard one person say, you know, if you write it down, then you don't, your brain doesn't have to hold on to it anymore. And it's out there so that you remember that you see that. And then it just helps me in the process. I know not everybody learns that way, but, but it's helpful for me. Um, This, this exercise has been great for me. So when I moved to Little Rock, I approached the elders there and said, we need to do public reading. We need to do reading that we're all doing as a group. And I felt like there was something missing in the group. And it was, we need more meat during the week, times where we're thinking about scripture during the week. And so I just said, I'll just write a little something on the reading. And that was uh, 20, I believe it was 2016. I did it for five years there uh, until I moved. And um, that discipline was tremendous for me, but I wasn't doing it to impress anybody. You know, I was going out on an email and as far as I knew into the ether. And it was amazing that it was a, a blessing to me more than I think to anyone else, because I started, it just helped me flesh out how many times have I read the gospels, but have I really thought about what that would mean to me and what it would be like to be a part of Jesus entourage and uh, taking that approach through scripture has blessed me. So I don't know if everybody, you know, um, I don't have a lot of devotionals that I would recommend. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of directions that I say, go listen to that guy. He's got it all figured out. Mainly I'm hesitant to do that in general, but what I can say is if you can do the discipline of let's sit down and read this section and then understand what it means and then say, now, what now for me? You know, what can I do with this today? What can I think about today? What can I pray about today? Who can I serve today? 
um, I think it'll be a blessing. And I think writing is essential to that because it helps get that, that thought. And instead of it just being, oh, Jesus did, Jesus did, it becomes, okay, what, what is, how does that challenge me? What do I do? Mm-hmm. You use the, the word discipline to describe this. And I think that's a good word because this is going to require some discipline on our part. And I know for me, one of the things that's lacking in my Bible study, both academically and devotionally, is just discipline. So how would you encourage us with uh, how we can be more disciplined in this? Sure. I'm a big believer in accountability about this. And uh, so I, I, the way I do it, I don't know that everybody can do this. I just make outrageous goals and then commit to them publicly. And then I have to do it. So, um, because I, I just, there's a part of me, the way I was raised, I'm just not going to let that fall to pieces if I can help it. I know that doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me because (laughs) that's what, that's what I did. I, I just had to keep doing it because everybody was expecting it and, Mm. uh, they expected it because I told them. Uh, So that helped me, (laughs) but I think anything that's going to be an accountability help, I especially would encourage us to kind of have people that we're connected with because we, we sharpen each other. We all have those days. Uh, Jeff mentioned I'm a runner and man, there are days where you don't feel like running at all. And so the wisdom is always have other people that are your running buddies. You pick them up when they're down, they pick you up when you're down. I think there's wisdom in that. I don't always live by that. I'm a bit of a lone wolf and some of those things, but the concept of accountability is a biblical concept. And I think mm-hmm. it's a, it's a way, it's a kind of a tool into our psyche that says, I'm going to do more when you're there with me than I will just on my own. So I, I uh, commit myself to things and uh, I have developed a discipline now so that it's more natural, but forging that discipline is a challenge. I, I tell young people, uh, the college guys here, we talked about it just the other night. Uh, they have the same question about a prayer life. You know, how do I remain consistent in a prayer life? And um, my encouragement is the same, you know, make, make a time that is that time. And I don't do anything before I do that. Mm-hmm. And if you can force that to be a, uh, I refuse to, to budge on this, I will have the personal wherewithal to say, before I turn the radio on in my car or listen to a podcast or anything, I'm going to pray. Then over time, it becomes habitual, but it is discipline. It's hard to begin. But there is there is tremendous fruit once you start living by a discipline so that you can look back and say, I'm the type of person who does that now, where mm-hmm. before you just kind of had the frustration of the uh, fits and starts. Would Jacob 10 years ago be able to have this conversation with us? Oh, no, I mean, not necessarily 10 years ago or even 20 years ago. Just there's that thought of that, right, of this will not necessarily come more with time, but maybe we'll realize more over time of like you're talking about the fruit there and more of the value. Yes. I, 10 years ago, Jake wouldn't have been able to say anything about any of this because I, I, I had a hard time, you know, waking up on time 10 years ago. So um, there is a growth there, Mm -hmm. but I also think um, we want the, I've been praying for 20 years and it's easy feeling without when we start, we want to start there and mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't start there. And the same with devotional reading, like you will look at the Bible sometimes and you will say, I, I have no idea what I'm supposed to take out of this. And 
I, I understand, I think, what it's saying. It has no application to me. I told you guys I'm in Isaiah. I'm in the, the <laughs> oracles and like Isaiah 15, 16. And it's like, this is talking about a bunch of people who are long dead about how God was mad at them. And you know what am I supposed to take from that? Well, in time, you get better at that and you develop a different kind of heart about it, but it does take time. So I think the, the danger is thinking that if I don't feel like it, it must not be working. And uh, that's not the way discipline works. Uh, discipline is the times where you don't feel like it and you continue to do it. Man, that steps on my toes. I was really <laughs> hoping you would say that there's actually, if you go and get this magic drink that's in the back of Walmart, you can have all of that immediately. But I guess I just have to remind myself that <laughs> all those people that I look up to who are, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ahead of me, I just have to remember that 15, 20 or 30 years from now, if I'm consistent with my disciplines and habits, then maybe I'll be like them too. But right. You just build to it. And yeah. the, there, there's wisdom in that, but it it certainly seems a lot more glamorous than the the daily grind of doing the work. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I think that's that's just life, right? I mean, I think that's true in just about every every discipline. Yeah. I'm curious. This is just based on what we've been talking about, but you know, the book of Isaiah is not like a typical devotional go-to book you would think of like a, a philippians or maybe a one of the gospels or, yeah yeah so how do you how do you take a book that is is very dense and poetic like isaiah and use it devotionally you can talk in general or maybe you can give us specifics but i'm just curious because i think this will help us see what the process looks like sure it takes a lot more work uh, to be honest, to work through. I, I The reason I am working on this is it's an area of weakness for me in my study. Um, major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And um, so I, I said, well, why not focus on the things that I'm weakest in? Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that a big part of that is to be able to know what is this saying, which mm -hmm. is more challenging. You know, the gospels, especially if you've grown up studying the Bible, the gospels are not super challenging in knowing what's going on. So it's easier to do devotional work in the gospels. Paul's a little harder. We went through a Paul year. We did a year that was basically the whole Old Testament. And uh, that was challenging, but I could take highlights. And, you know, this is, this is nitty gritty work where you mm -hmm. say, what can we take out of each one of these? And also there's a challenge to say, I don't want to take the same lesson every day uh, yeah. because that, that gets boring real quick. So to me, it is beginning with what is he talking about? What does this mean? Where is this headed? Uh, there's challenging stuff. Some of it is messianic. You can pull that out and talk about how God keeps his word and how it was not, you couldn't see the end from the beginning, but God did. You work through Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, those messianic prophecies. I think it's important to see that sometimes people make God mad. And uh, when you see so much judgment in these pages, it's a reminder that God's a real being. He really responds to us and he responds to us emotionally. Uh, so I think we relate to that. I think that's a helpful emotional connection to say uh, what I'm doing is not just God's big, bad, and, and ugly. It's that I have done something. It doesn't just upset God. He's not just waving a hand and, and dismissing it. It's instead, this is, this is worthy of my death. And here are people who died. So making the connections where I can see myself in the text, but also being faithful to what Isaiah really meant, uh, that's the challenge. I would say it takes me about twice as long to write one of these 
as it would to, to write something in the New Testament. But I feel like it's the same kind of thing. I don't think I could have done that when I first started this. Mm-hmm. I think I would have given up. But uh, it's the same kind of thing. If you if you force yourself and you do the discipline, I don't want to misspeak and say this means something it doesn't mean. Uh, but I also don't want to cop out easy and, uh, you know, like just take one verse and say, oh, that one, that'll work. Um, yeah. You know, you you want to be faithful to the text because part of my goal is to help myself and to help other people get a deeper, richer understanding of Isaiah. And I think if you can break it down enough and and get the constituent elements simplified enough, then you end up with something that's both beneficial for understanding the book and helps you apply it, live by it. So. Yeah, that's that, that's helpful to hear you say that you couldn't start with this book because you're not telling us, okay, go grab the book of Isaiah and work through the 66 chapters and do this devotionally. <laughs> it would feel like trying to, you know, bench 500 pounds. Yes. <laughs> it's just not going to work. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's extremely challenging. And uh, so that part of when I write, that's part of what I'm thinking is uh, what would be hard for people and how can I make that simpler just based on the fact that I have more time than most people because I'm a full-time preacher and I'm working in the word and have some experience in that. And I'm able to write it in, in uh, succinct ways. So that's going to help people and break down the message. That's what I want to do. But I do feel like at some point we, we kind of have a lot of the, the new Testament. We're okay with that. You know, you can open Philippians and do devotional reading without anybody guiding you. Um, Isaiah is a little more, a little more difficult. Yeah. So tell us how you've done this um, in some of your recent publications with stuff like Exploring God's Grace and A Year with Jesus. To let our audience know kind of what those books are, are like, how they're formatted, what they're designed to do, some of your the process of working and putting them together and stuff like that. Sure. So Year with Jesus was the first year we did. I'm like you mentioned in the intro, I'm a, I'm a Gospels guy. I'm a Jesus guy. And uh, so I just I just love the gospels. If you ask me, what are we going to study? Unless you tell me, no, I'm going to say the gospels. So that was just reading through them piece by piece. And I divided them all up by the year. Now, uh, these devotionals are a little different in that they're for five day a week reading. Mm-hmm. That was what we committed to as a church. And I kind of like that habit so that you have the weekends either to catch up or to take a break and do what you're doing for church. Um so what I do is I'll have the reading at the top. I don't print the passages in the in the books. Just have you go read it in your own Bible. And then I'll have a, a short, usually 300, 350 words, some kind of explanation of the text and an application. And then at the end, I always like to do one thing to think about and one thing to pray for. So the think about is a meditation idea. And the pray for is I, I want to remind our people that we can talk to God about the things we're learning about him. So uh, that's the way it's formatted. It's so it's 52 weeks and five days a week. And we go through the gospels. Uh, the exploring God's grace was a little bit different because it wasn't just through a passage through a text. Instead, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do this study, uh, and talk about grace, especially throughout the Bible. And so I, I just started searching, you know, in my Bible search programs for all the different words, for the grace words and the giving words and the blessing words. And um, I was just astounded by how many passages I came up with, especially when you start, you know, thinking in terms of grace in the Old Testament. I ended up with half the book being in the Old Testament, which would have shocked me uh, if I had said that before I I did the work. 
because I, I just wouldn't have thought there was that much grace in the Old Testament, Yeah, which, which is why that was such a helpful project for me personally. So same format for that, but we had, you know, that one, it may feel like it jumps around a little more because you, you know, there's no linear text. So each text is sort of its own animal. And that requires more work because you need to know, you you know, you're ripping even a larger passage out of its natural context. So you need to know what, what is this saying? What is this referring Mm -hmm. to? What's going on around it? And I try to do that a little more in that book than I did in the gospel book, because, you know, I don't know where my audience is coming from and how familiar they are with the the different texts. So what's really neat uh, about the, when you spend a year like that, this was really impressed on me with the grace book is it completely changes your view. Mm -hmm. When you do the same thing and you study the same thing every day for a full year, um, you begin to think of God differently. And that was just invaluable for me. I don't know if any of our people at Fairview did that uh, in Little Rock. I don't know if anybody's read the book all the way. Um, What I know is that discipline changed me. Uh, because uh, it's completely changed the tone with which I approach my preaching because I, I'm convinced more and more that we serve a good God who wants to do good and uh, that we should look for his grace instead of being you know concerned about thinking all about his grace in terms of the salvation debates and just say, God's good. I, he can be trusted. Look at all the things he does, has done, continues to do, has promised he'll do in the future. So yeah. Um, you didn't ask for all that, I guess, but, um, I, no, but I did, it's all good. I, I did like that, um, the way that turned out because it was, it was something that I kind of, uh, started on without knowing exactly where it was going to end up. And mm-hmm. it ended up being far more beneficial than I had anticipated. Listening to, to, you've talked about the book before and other platforms and then your conversation with Grace, with Kenny and Edwin, uh, it, it has, this isn't hopefully going to turn into a, a whole another hour on just grace, even though it very well could. And I, that would be very beneficial in the time. But uh, I mean, I'm studying Deuteronomy eight right now. And you know, all the times that it says like, you know, God is leading into a good land. It's a fruitful land and all that. It, it's, it's from some of those things that you've talked about, it stuck with me that, you know, this is, it's a good thing, but it also is a reminder of the good God ultimately as well. And, and I've, haven't cracked the book yet, but I hope to. And uh, so I'll be honest with them, but I, I do look forward to finding some, some ex- expanding of my mind and view and especially on, you know, topics and thoughts, thoughts of God like that, especially. So. And see, and I think one of the dangers when we study that is that we say, well, God did this for them. Yeah. And uh, so it becomes kind of a historical factual statement instead of this means something about the nature of God. Yeah. That God is a good God who wants to bless people and makes promises and fulfills them. So he's a faithful God and that he also wants us to learn. He talks about in that text, testing them, you know, even the yeah. testing is a blessing that is just, it's all over the pages of the, the old Testament. We read Deuteronomy sometimes and we get all tripped up on, uh, you know, is this genocide and uh, you know, yeah. all that, those kinds of questions. Uh, but there's so much grace there. So mm-hmm. to me, it yeah. was just a, a reframing that was really helpful. So mm-hmm. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think it's helpful to hear you say, what is this teaching us about God? Because if we limit the Bible to, okay, this is just an ancient text and they're just words on the page. 
then we, we miss the relationship aspect that we're supposed to be seeking him. I don't know if we were recording at this point or not, but you mentioned that you're going through Psalm 119 right now. And one of the things that's impressed me about Psalm 119 is, is the psalmist loves the word, but not for its own sake. He loves the word because it points him to God. He wants to know God and he, he learns about God through what God has said. So that, again, that kind of takes us back to that connection that we're seeking with God. Yeah, I think um, I, I just wrote this for my sermon Sunday. So you're, you're uh, stealing my notes here. That's exactly <laughs> right. He, the Bible study is not an end in itself. Uh, we study God's word to know God. And when we read the word, if we're not processing anything about who he is and what that means now for me, no, not just what it meant for David or Moses or whoever, but for me, then we're leaving it there. You know, we're, we're missing it because he takes it and makes a connection into now because you're righteous, your rules are righteous. And, you know, that because you have done all these things and said all these things, now I'm going to ask you to help me rescue me. And that's all over Psalm 119, which I've been thinking about a lot, but that that idea, I think we need it. We need to remember that the Bible is not just there so that we can analyze it, study it, and then say, this is now what it says. I can give the definitive report on what it says. It's then, okay, so what about the God it describes? Do you know him? Are you serving him? What does he want in your life to change? Uh, you know, all those questions to me just naturally spring up, but I think sometimes we leave them there uh, because we have that, that kind of, uh, I think it's just a little shallow view of, of scripture. One of the things I, I know you, I'm, I'm rambling at this point, but like one of the things that Jesus does in the gospels, and it's just so impressive to me, the way he dances around the interpretations of the Pharisees, he is head and shoulders above the Pharisees and how he understands the law because he believes there's a God who wrote the law. So when God says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, that's, that's a command to Jesus. He's like, look, this must happen because God wants it to be there. If he made them male and female and he joined them together, how dare man tear apart what God has joined together? You know, Jesus thinks this way. There is a God. If he says don't murder, he doesn't want you to do everything but murder. He wants you to, to love your brother and to discipline yourself and to get rid of your anger. You know, there is a God here. He's not somebody to be toyed with. And you don't just read his word and say, how can I get around the full impact of it? Jesus says, no, we need to know that God and serve that God. And he comes saying, I know that God, and I'm going to tell you what he wants from you. And you listen to me and do it, and your righteousness will exceed the scribes and Pharisees. Anyway, rant over. Amen. There you go. That's all. <laughs> we definitely need to all. include that, though. That's good. <laughs> uh, Jacob, we've got a few questions to wrap up with today, uh, starting with a phrase that we heard some getting ready to to start our podcast back a couple of years ago. This phrase, I think I, I saw it as a title of a podcast episode. I feel like I heard it talked about in a couple other places or maybe saw it in some blogs. Somebody would say something like, you know, we want to get deeper in our Bible study or we're going to have deep Bible study or here's some tools to help you with deep Bible study. What, what does the phrase deeper Bible study mean to you? I think of it in two ways. Um, Deeper in the sense that I think some of our study can be very shallow about we just understand and we're only seeking to understand what's there on the surface. What does this say? And uh, so when I get that far, I know what this says, you know, then I'm good. And I think that 
you know, I talked about our propositional kind of proof texting history. You know, if all we're looking for is a text to support a certain position, then we kind of get into that more shallow realm. And I've heard people take in those debates a passage and completely ignore the context or what actually is meant by the word church, for example. And deeper would mean what is really going on in Paul's mind? What is Paul's goal when he writes this? And then what does that translate to for us? So deeper meaning, I'm going to think a little more. Deeper meaning, I'm not just going to settle for one line about what this is. Yeah. The other part of deeper to me is, is what we've been talking about, devotional type reading, where we say, okay, here's what it says, and then now what? Uh, that idea, especially, I, I keep coming back to introspection and, and focusing on ourselves first, uh, because there's so much there. I, I think, I, I look at my heart and my life, and I say, there's so much that's a mess here. Um, God's trying to change it. The word is the instrument through which he's going to work. What's missing? Well, the deeper study is when I say this passage may mean something in my life right now. And I can't just say, yeah, I read it. Mm -hmm. I need to say, okay, now what's changing. And so that to me is deeper too. So I think, I think both of those one being, I'm going to do more than proof text. I'm going to understand. And two being, I'm going to do more than understand. I'm going to really try to live it. That's all really good. Our next question is currently, so as of beginning of October, your favorite book of the Bible, if you had to pick one of 66. Oh, man. <laughs> Default is always Luke. Okay. Uh, I, I love Luke. Uh, and it's going to take a lot to knock Luke off his perch. But really, just about anything that I'm studying intently kind of becomes the the impressive one to me. Uh, right now I'm working through Matthew. I'm teaching on Matthew and Matthew's way different from Luke, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm a big, big fan. It, it's grown on me from um, in the past. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's really hard to pick. So uh, succinctly, what is it about Luke that uh, makes it your, if I'm going to give a default answer, that's my default answer. Well, are you an Luke, aspiring doctor or something like that? No, I'm not. <laughs> um, Luke has an incredibly compelling uh, vision of Jesus to me. Uh, and when I see Jesus through Luke's eyes and Jesus, who's uh, reaching out to women and the outcasts and the tax collectors, Jesus in, in Luke's eyes is completely dismissive of the concerns of the religious elites. Uh, and, you know, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus says, yeah, because that's what God does. That's God's heart. He wants to have a party and celebrate because his children are coming home. And uh, this is who Jesus is. This is his heart. And uh, I'm not saying that that is a different Jesus. Right. I'm saying that's the, the gospels give us the perspective on Jesus through four different sets of eyes. Mm -hmm. And looking at Jesus through Luke's eyes uh, is just so compelling to me. Uh, I want to be like that Jesus. I want to know that Jesus. Uh, I want to serve him. I want to be with him in eternity. He's awesome. And I think there are wrinkles in each gospel, but it's sort of like uh, we all have people that we connect with more easily and relate to more easily. And I find his gospel, the one that I is, is just on my wavelength. I, I connect with him. Maybe Luke will be your answer for this too. If you had to pick a favorite, and this is again, currently Bible character, who would that be? 
and you can't say the Lord. That's always the, why can't I say Jesus? He's the best. I know he's the best, but uh, you have to, there has to be someone else, a minor character. I've always been fascinated by Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah is an enigma to me. I am completely (laughs) unlike him. I can never imagine pulling anybody's hair out. Um, (laughs) I, he, he's a, He's kind of bold and brash, but he's also wise and careful. Uh, I love how he goes to the city and and uh, kind of inspects it at night and doesn't tell anybody. And then like kind of stages a time when he can unfurl his plan before everybody. Very intrigued by Nehemiah. Right now, I'm also thinking about Moses. Uh, Moses is, uh, I, I'm thinking of Moses as a character in terms of service. And uh, sometimes I talk to my preacher buddies and uh, they carry a lot. And it, it really connects with that part of Moses where he kind of throws his hands up to God and says, uh, are these my kids? Uh, yeah. Am I supposed to carry them everywhere? Like, if you're going to do this to me, just kill me now. And uh, <laughs> that, that um, like, I think, I think some of my preacher buddies relate to that. And um, to see Moses, he's so raw, he's so real. He, God tells him go. And he's like, I don't think I can. There's a whole backstory of, of Moses' youth and, and uh, his first efforts to, to uh, save the nation and all of that. Mm-hmm. I, I just find that fascinating. And uh, for him to be the most important man alive and be called the most humble man alive, to me, is, is incredible. I cannot believe that that would be said about the same person, the mm-hmm. Most, mm-hmm. most important and most humble all at once. So yeah. that's, uh, that's pretty intriguing. But he's not Jesus, so. <laughs> so he'll always fall short in that regard. Yes. That's right. That's very true. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode is going to be releasing the week of Thanksgiving. So we're recording quite a few weeks ahead, which means lots of things can change between now and then. But for our final few minutes, Jacob, what's happening with AM football right now? Explain <laughs> that. You know, we're here on October 6th and uh, just coming off a real uh, kind of big upsetting loss to Mississippi state. And we don't want to talk about Appalachia state or anything like that. So fix everything for us. Why don't you? (laughs) Well, um, I don't want to go on record saying we're going to get destroyed on Saturday. (laughs) If this is going to be recorded later, because then uh, everybody will say I doubted um, (laughs) even though they're all doubting right now. Um, It'll come out long after that. So everyone will be able to go and say, yeah, he was right. So, <laughs> so um, I think that the Aggies are like a cake that's not done cooking yet. And uh, they, uh, every Saturday, somebody takes the cake out and tries to taste it. And it's just not ready. Yeah. Uh, we need, we need another year. Uh, we got a lot of young people on the team. And uh, so that's my thought. I think this was a little too soon for all the hype. I feel like um, I've been hearing that for the past three years that the cake yeah. is ready. And, uh, well, we had a good that's... year that everybody forgot because everybody had COVID that year. You guys got kicked out of the um, playoffs too. Yeah. I thought that was just completely unfair. Me too. Me too. My, my brother-in-law is going to disagree with me because he's an Ohio State fan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really the Notre Dame people that we're, we're cross with about that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know that, um, you know, when Jeremiah had his lamentations, Jeremiah had to minister to people that uh, were really in a terrible spot that 
it's it's hard on those Sundays like that, that <laughs> Appalachian State Sunday. We had a gospel meeting and I was thankful because that would have been hard. <laughs> I used to joke with my uh, Arkansas people that that the Sunday after uh, Aggie lost was bad preaching. And uh, I would I would struggle. But uh, man, it's nothing like being down here where uh, everybody was at the show. promised land and yeah. uh, with all that. So, <laughs> well, so I guess your predictions when. Another six weeks of football. Uh, whenever people start listening to this on November 22nd, Jacob Hudgens is going to say, hey, but we actually bounced back and we're going to take the next six weeks, right? Or I'm, I'm the eternal optimist. That. I still think that we uh, we got a shot to turn things around and do good. I wouldn't be surprised if we beat Alabama. I wouldn't be surprised if we run off a few games. I don't think we're going to do anything incredible, but um I, I, I like to uh, always hold out hope that things can get better. So, well, there you go. Well, we'll look back on this fondly with great anticipation to see how things come out <laughs> there at the end of, or there in Thanksgiving week. So thank you so much, Jacob, for being with us today. This was really, really encouraging and just a really positive episode. So thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Awesome. It's been a blast. I appreciate what you guys are doing. And uh, I think it's great, especially it's been a wonderful thing for me to discover the Bible for myself and study those things for myself. And I, I love that y'all are encouraging everybody to go read and, uh, you know, try to figure out for yourself what scripture means. That's awesome. Amen. That's right. Well, thank you for your help with that today and uh, take care and God bless. All right. Thank you. So Emerson, what was your one thing from our conversation with Jacob today? I really liked what he was talking about at the very beginning about how there's a connection between our Bible reading and study and our worship. And I was thinking about that because worship sometimes seems so obligatory. We do it because we have to. But if if that's the case, then probably it's because we're not we're not devoting ourselves to devotional reading. And so worship, I think we need to look at it differently. It should be the result of drawing near to God through his word. It shouldn't be just empty. And if, if we are doing that work of devotional reading, then it will just be a natural product that we're going to worship and praise and honor God. And so I, I, I really like that connection. Our worship will, will be better whenever we're devoting ourselves to Bible reading. What about you? I remember him talking about the thought of today, just really that idea of making Bible reading and as we've talked about throughout series in our show with our own conversations or even with some other people as well, making sure you don't jump too quickly to application of things like that, but just with that mindset of what's my God connection today or how does this help or challenge me or how does this help me help others today and just thinking about the immediate effect of some of that and recognizing there may not always be some great grand scheme of today in that moment, but trying to think with that present mindset within God's word as it's living and active as well. Absolutely. So for our listeners, we want to always leave you with a challenge. And today's is what is your one thing from our conversation with Jacob? How will this help you in reading God's word better? Thank you for tuning in to Working with the Word today. Our next episode will continue the conversation of reading the Bible devotionally with Deanie Ward. We hope you'll tune in for this conversation as well. 
If you'd like to find out more about Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.